0: Learn more at marines.com.
1: Empire.
0: Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor and subscribe to the John Kime Report wherever you get your podcasts. And also subscribe on YouTube at Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E it would be much appreciated. Today, I'm joined by ESPN's Jeff Legwald, who discusses his top 100 draft ranking list, which is currently up on ESPN.com. It's Legwald's ranking based on his watching the film of these players, scouting players, talking to scouts, coaches, GMs. Folks, they come to him for information about these players during the draft, so pay attention to what Jeff has to say. Leggy's been doing this a long time, folks. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff underscore Legwald, and you can read my work on ESPN.com. We'll have all sorts of draft content on ESPN.com this week, and we'll have instant analysis after every team's pick during the draft. I will have a podcast Wednesday and another one after Washington's pick on Thursday night, and then another on Sunday, wrapping up the draft. I talked to Jeff about the work he puts into this process. He's not just some sports writer taking a stab at a ranking. He approaches it like a scout. Listen to what he does during games, what he does on the road, the detailed things he looks for, and then we dive into some possible picks for Washington. Kyle Hamilton, Drake London, Chris Olave, some of the offensive tackles, Evan Neal, Ika McQuanu, and Charles Cross. If a premium tackle falls to 11, it's going to be hard for them to ignore, real hard. They're also definitely offensive linemen they like in the middle rounds. So it's not a necessity to grab one here. But I'll be honest, let's say Aquanu or Neal somehow was there at 11, not expecting it. But I think there's going to be a guy sitting there at 11. People are going to say, oh, I didn't see that happening. But if it's one of those guys, it's a home run pick. With Cross. I think it would be slightly less than those guys. But I do think they think Cross will go in the top 10 as well. And yes, he would be tempting for them at 11. They really do like Drake London, and I know they like Chris Olave as well. The interesting one will be Alabama receiver Jamison Williams. I know his knee situation will concern some teams, but if they somehow, if Washington and other teams, find out that Williams is ahead of schedule, legitimately so, then if he's there for Washington at 11, watch out. I do believe he'd be in play. He'd have to be. Of course, if he's ahead of schedule, I don't think he's going to be there at 11. If you didn't hear Logan Paulson discuss Williams, go back and listen to the draft podcast I did with Logan last week. I'll be making my pick, by the way, yeah, I'll be making my pick for our NFL Nation mock draft uh, special. It's That's Tuesday night. I think it's at 8 o'clock. I like my pick. However, my confidence level, if they make the same pick, given the scenario that developed, is at best a medium. I know they have confidence in receivers – Curtis Samuel, Scott Turner told me once that he's one of the smartest players he's ever coached. He just needs to stay healthy and he can make a big difference in this offense if he does. But there are definitely, but is he a strong number two? I'm not sure anybody would say that. So that's why the receiver's in play. And there are definitely some receivers they take at 11, knowing what he could do for this offense. It would allow them to use four wideouts. It would create a different subset of plays they could use. Imagine them with four wideouts and Logan Thomas. Four wideouts then J.D. McKissick. It's how you create mismatches. You could go with three receivers, three quality receivers. Let's say you have receiver from this draft at 11, plus Curtis Samuel, plus Terry McLaurin. Then you throw J.D. McKissick and Antonio Gibson in the backfield. How do teams defend that? Or you have those three receivers plus McKissick or Gibson in the backfield and then Logan Thomas on the field. That's That's the way you create a much better offense for yourselves. The offensive line is a definite possibility too. And there are some guys I think would really be really good for them to get there. They have four starters. And again, they'd have to fall. They have four starters up front have to settle on a right guard. Again, if a tackle fell, they can take, take that guy slide Sam Cosby inside and have one hell of a right side for several years. There are some guards and other and tackles after the first round who could probably step in and start as well in, in their eyes. So it's not a necessity to grab one there, but, I do think it's something they're going to try and address. I also asked Jeff if there's a player he thinks could tempt another team to trade up to 11 if they're sitting there. Not one of the quarterbacks. as another player. Is there another one? Maybe one of the defensive ends. Maybe even Hamilton, knowing for Washington, if you add more picks, you can still pick up a safety they like after the first. Maybe a Louisine, Jaquan Brisker. Those guys are possibilities. Dash and Hill, among others. But the value of this draft will be rounds two through four. So the more picks they can get there, the better off they'll be. Again, they'd look at linebacker after the first round as well. Again, those picks have to hit. Anyway, that's it from me. I'll be back after this break with ESPN's Jeff Legwald talking about his top 100 prospects list, where he ranks some Washington targets like Hamilton, London, Olave, and Williams, and the O'Lyman. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with ESPN's Jeff Legwald. All right, Leggy. The most exhaustive draft story of the offseason is always your top 100. And I want to get into, in a minute, about some of the rankings, you, the way you had it, etc. But I also want to start off by having you tell people what you put into this. Because it is a, <laughs> you know, because people are going to see, like, you have, for people who don't know, there's Jeff Legwald's top 100, It's on ESPN site right now. Um, Yeah, you rank the players. It's not a, it's not a mock, it's a ranking. And there's a paragraph for each guy, but those paragraphs for each guy probably like equates to hours and hours of conversations and work. So in a nutshell, like how many people are you talking to? How many hours of film are you watching to do this, to get this done?
1: Well, you know, John, I, I, I sort of, we all come into this job from a certain direction and, Uh, my direction sort of was scouts at first, you know, I covered the combine before I covered an NFL game. You know, I, I interviewed scouts before I interviewed a GM in my career, you know, 35, 36 years ago, I, I was learning that. you know, I was covering college football and and high school stuff, but, you know, so scouts were my entry point. And, and when I was in newspapers, I, I, I was writing the draft before a lot of people, you know, uh, Mel obviously was doing his guide, but there weren't many guys in newspapers doing the draft a lot. I couldn't get my editors to run it, but I always just did it. So through the season, even covering the Broncos, you know, if they make a road trip and I go to the the city on the Saturday, I often will sit with a scout who's in that area who I know, or I'll go to a division two game you know, to see a a player I might be interested in, but I, I do that through the season. I kind of, you know, like the teams do, you get your initial list and you work off that and scouts I know will, will help me. They'll say, you know, here, here are 10 guys. I think you should keep an eye on this year whatever. And by the time I talk to everybody, I got a pretty big list and I just keep cranking on that all year. And then after the season ends, whether the you know, the team I cover goes to the playoffs or the Super Bowl or whatever. If they miss the playoffs, I, I then I really get deeper into it. But I try to do a little each day, even during the fall. Uh, and then when I get to the January, February, then I, then I really get going. But, you know, it's game video, it's interviews with, uh, you know, scouts, GMs. Uh, if I talk to a coach about something, I'll, I'll throw a couple draft questions in at the end. Uh, hey, have you seen so-and-so? And often coaches don't get involved until their right. season's over too much. So most of the fall is scouts and personnel guys and all of that. And then the, the coaches get more involved in January. So, yeah, it's – and the combine, you know, I, I transcribe roughly, uh, you know, whether it be one minute of an interview or 20 uh, I probably had 200 people I had spoken to at the combine in some fashion, either one question or 10, but uh, it's just that, you know, I've, it's just, I've always done it. Uh, not every outlet I've worked for, you know, three decades ago ran it because nobody ran much draft stuff back then. Uh, I think me, Bob McGinn, maybe in Milwaukee, Rick Gosling in Dallas, you know, we were kind of that early wave of draft. You know, Mort, when Mort worked in Atlanta, he would write a little draft stuff from time to time. So uh, that was kind of that early wave of draft in daily newspapers. And then to see what it is now is pretty funny. But
0: it, it's, but little things like, and you were, we were talking, I think a week or so ago about some of the stuff you do, what you look for. You were saying that sometimes you watch a quarterback on a film just to watch his eyes.
1: Uh, you know, that's one of the, you know, I'm a one man band, so, you know, I don't have a staff, you know, to, to break down every guy. So I've had to develop sort of certain ways to look at certain positions. And I've been very fortunate. Some of the best scouts ever have, have helped me along the way, learn how to look at things. And I, I do do a thing with quarterbacks. I, uh, I, I'd sort of have a little multiplier I personally use. I, I call them stress downs. You know, third down means more. Red zone means more. You know, I I'm not interested much in the uh, wide open receiver type of things that you get a lot of in college football. You know, they scheme guys open and they're throwing to the wide open. You know, big throwing windows. So I've had to develop little things where I can separate players on things that will matter in the NFL and keeping your eyes up and on the what's developing in front of you down the field, rather than the rush, the guys who peek at the rush too much too often or get skittish or, and leave the pocket and those type of things, th- those guys don't transfer as well to the NFL and it doesn't matter how great their arm is. So uh, I always say arm strength is on, is like number nine on the list of, things you're going to need to be a great NFL quarterback. How often do
0: teams ask what you think about a guy?
1: It's more, you know, people I know. I get texts all the time. What do you you think of so-and-so? Or where do you have him? Sometimes even on draft day, uh, I've had teams on the clock sort of ping me once in a while about, do you know this? Or do you have this little item? you know, things like that. And I have, I have one rule, everybody I know uh, knows it. And because I, I believe in being honest with people, I will tell everybody who asks me what I have on a player, or what I think of a player, or what, what my interactions were with that player. Uh, but I won't tell one team what another team is doing or who they like. I, I just think that's, that's up to them to figure out that that's not my deal.
0: So let's get to the, to the rankings now. Was it, there's a lot of talk about this draft and how huh. different people will look at, not just the top 10, but probably the top 40 or 50.
1: Oh, it's unbelievable. It,
0: yeah, so was it, how hard was it to get a top 10? You had Evan Neal first, and another guy that's of interest here is Kyle Hamilton. I don't know that they'll take, would take him, but he's a guy of interest.
1: You have at number three. So how hard was it to get that top 10 this year? Well, you have two things happening, John. There's not a consensus quarterback at the top of the board. That always messes everything up. And by messes everything up, I mean it just – it sort of gives people the freedom to rank players however they want if there's not a quarterback leading the way or, you know, two quarterbacks. You know, last year quarterbacks, you know, go one, two, three. And I doubt very seriously any team had those quarterbacks at one, two, and three on their boards but they all knew they would be drafted there. And that's, that's the big difference that I think sometimes folks don't realize. Teams pick players above, you know, just like they pick them below where they have them graded, they often pick them above where they have them graded too. So this year, the, so there's no QB at the top. So that changes the dynamic, and you know, not even no consensus, two quarterbacks in the top 10. So that changes everything at the top of the board. And then this is one of the biggest draft classes in terms of graded players I can ever remember. I think the COVID seasons, uh, people staying in school because they got that extra COVID year almost like free. You know, the guys could come back for a fifth and sixth year who wouldn't have in previous years. So this is a very big draft class in terms of graded players. There's a lot of 25 year olds on the board. There's a lot of guys who played 45 or more games uh, more than I can ever remember. This is like an old school draft when, you know, when you couldn't turn pro almost. And I mean, Kobe Bryant, Cincinnati corner uh, he is the first 60 game player. I can ever remember evaluating uh, played 63 games. And just as a context, when Philip Rivers came out, he had 51 starts, and that was a record for a drafted player at that time. And here's Kobe Bryant. That many years later, he, he has 63 a 63 game career. Uh, I, I can't I can't ever remember that. So those are the two things that are most unique about this draft, and we we probably won't see a uh, as many graded players like this draft. In a very long time, that's why the second, third, fourth, fifth rounds of this draft are just better than most years. You're going to get teams are going to be pulling guys off the board in day three where they have day two grades on them because there are so many guys with day two grades. And I was going to ask you that, too, because with Washington, they
0: have picks in the first and second round, no picks in the third and the fifth. And I know that they would like to add picks in those rounds because they know that's where the value is. So how important? And the hard part, though, Leggy, is they're picking 11th. Who might fall to 11 that would cause a team to move up in a trade? Yeah. Well,
1: that's the thing, John. I always say that the bluest of the blue chip players there's routinely eight or nine or 10 on the board. whatever year you're talking about, and I'm talking the bluest of the blue, right. and that routinely. And if you're at 10 11 12, you can get one of those players, but what you need to happen is the quarterback run. They the Washington needs if they want one of those blue chip guys they really really love to come down to 11, they need somebody to come get one or two of the quarterbacks above them. Right. Uh, and and I think that's that's what happens. That that's when you get the the really good players at 15 and 16, you know, that, that you, you need somebody to jump up and get one of those right. skill players who may not be graded there for real. Well,
0: and that's what I'm wondering, you know, who might fall to 11 that would prompt like, yeah. cause I know one area that this is a good edge rushing class.
1: Oh, uh, it's yeah. yeah. Edge rushers in every round who will right. come in and, and contribute.
0: And I don't think they would take an edge rusher 11, not with Sweat and Young there because they, while they may like a guy, they're going to have other areas they would like to address with the old best player available at area of need. So would one of those ends, do you think, tempts – and I don't like the quarterbacks as you have. I think Malik is your first quarterback at 29. Yeah. So
1: that, I'm always lower, and I take yeah. I take heat for that but, all the time, And but, but that's but, where they're really graded.
0: Right, and so like, it's hard to imagine there's going to be a quarterback they might trade up for, but could one of those ends tempt somebody, or could another – could maybe one of the corners – Tempt somebody to move up. I think somebody's going to jump at one of the quarterbacks. I really okay. do. I never believe. Think is the sweet spot for that. You think they're getting to top ten?
1: Yeah, six or nine. I think okay. are the spots. I, I think in the big picture, uh, I think a, a lot of teams out there who want quarterbacks uh, wonder what the Steelers were do because the Steelers don't often trade right. uh, in the first round. They, you know, I covered them. Uh, my last year on the Steelers was 1993, and they're still drafting the same profile of player because they've had so much consistency and on that side of their organization. Very few coaches, very few GMs, very few very little turnover. So their draft profile is the same largely, you know, all these years. and they don't often, They don't often move around in the first round. They're like the Ravens. They're patient and they wait for the good players to come down because they know impatience rules the day for a lot of teams. So there'll there'll be teams jumping up there. So I always believe if you're at 11 through 15, you're going to get a top 10 player. You're going to have a shot at a top 10 player when your pick rolls around. But if you want
0: to trade back, let's say Washington wants to trade back from 11 to – let's say they want to trade back – is there another position that somebody would move up for would defense would a Jermaine if Johnson falls out of the top 10 is he a guy that you think teams would trade up for a position other than quarterback at 11 that somebody might want to go get
1: yeah I do I mean there are good enough players to trade up for I guess is yeah I mean there are good enough players you know a lot of people are saying this first round is thin but there are good enough players and they're you know, it's like thirty-one flavors of ice cream. You know, one team will really love one player, and if that guy is somewhere where they can move to get him, they'll do it. You know, because they believe in that. Moving down is weird this year because so many teams have multiple first-round picks. I, I think it's been a long time since we've seen this too. Uh, you got teams with two and three first-rounders, and you know, those are always the ones to watch because they feel like they've got the extra chips in the game to play with and that they can do more things. So you had Kyle Hamilton third. Why? I, uh, I think Hamilton is an awesome prospect. He's one of the biggest safeties you're going to come across. You know, that the quibblers are going to say, oh, he ran 4-5 and all that. But in the right scheme, with him moving forward a lot of the time, he's just going to make tons of plays. That's almost a – it's getting close to being a foundational defensive player these days, a, a coverage safety. Everybody's playing quarters coverage. Moving forward is the, is the game now for safeties. Can you make plays moving forward? And he's really good at that. You know, again, you know, draft time is, is quibble time when you're looking at guys. And, you know, the one thing people wonder is – You know, in a backpedal situation, working backward, you know, how is he going to fare against some of the people he would have to cover? And that's not the strength of his game. So, in the right scheme, though, he he has big-time potential to be a Pro Bowl safety.
0: You have a few offensive linemen. Abeneel was your first one, and Ika Mikwanu also I think, in your top five. Oh yeah, I like, I I love him. Yeah, I do too. Do You see, could you see one of those top? I mean, I guess I would throw Charles Cross in there. What did you? Oh, have? Yeah.
1: yeah, Cross is uh, he was my OT3. Yeah, okay. so, uh, I like him too. I mean, those, yeah. those... and
0: and I know like
1: every team's got it's... those three guys different too.
0: Yeah, I know a they couple do. teams
1: get a couple teams have Cross as OT1. You know, it, it's those three guys, but they're the top three. So, could you see one of those guys falling out of the top 10? Always because some teams. Uh, have the philosophy of, I want a guy who touches the ball in the top 10, you know, or, or affects the passer. Well, So defensively an edge rusher or a corner. So sometimes, yeah, great lineman will get shoved down the board. I mean, look, you know, it, it's a drastic example, but Creed Humphrey came in as a rookie and was spectacular. And he waited until the second round to hear, he was a walk-in starter, but he's an alignment. So some teams are like, ah, we'll just wait. Well, and I was going to ask you too because my
0: understanding is some teams really like some of the guys after the first round that they Oh yeah, you can yeah. get like there's you know the, the kid the tackle from Tulsa. Um, yeah. You know,
1: really physical yeah. guy. I mean, uh, yeah. Tyler Tyler Smith. Tyler he's Smith, really right? Super physical, and you know the Northern Iowa tackle is is raw and he takes too many penalties. But man, when you watch him finish plays off and those types of things, some old line coaches are giddy when they watch him, watch him play. So, and so
0: that's why some, I could see, cause that was what I was talking to one team the other day and they thought maybe he's one of those guys drops because of that reason. Like maybe right. you want to get somebody else now, knowing that in round two or three, you're going to get a guy who's probably a day one, who could be a day one starter.
1: That's the other thing to sort of watch in the draft is the teams that stick to their board. Like we spent a year grading these guys. This is how we're going to pick them. They'll take the tackle if he's the best player on the board, no matter what. Right. And the teams that are fishing a little more for needs, immediate needs, will often bypass. Like they'll have, just as an example, they'll have Evan Neal graded slightly higher than the guy they take, but they need a a player now because they didn't do enough in free agency or their cap. Right situations messed up so when when great players drop it's because teams are picking for need when when they probably shouldn't but they feel the necessity
0: drake london you had him at 16 another guy like yeah. this team likes him
1: i know that so, as they should you know i i have a you know again i was taught scouting a certain way i uh, few players rise on the board the draft weekend like long corners, corners with length, and receivers who can win contested balls are always uh, – that's an NFL trait. You know, we, you can watch game after game of college football, no press coverage, no jams at the line because everybody's fearful, and receivers just run free, and they don't, they, don't have, they don't make a tight window catch for four weeks. You know, you, you just watch right. play after play after play players who win contested catches who are covered aggressively because maybe their team doesn't have a second option, you know, so they get double coverage more often. Those are the, those are NFL traits when you watch those. That's that's why Traylon Burks from Arkansas is such a popular, he and London are the two guys, their teams didn't have other options really not like Ohio state. So they get a lot of, you know, added coverage. So they, they have to battle for the ball more than other receivers do. And that, to me, that makes you ready to play more quickly. You know, as good as, like here in Denver, as good as Jerry Judy is as a route runner, and he's one of the best I've ever seen come out of the draft, the physicality got to him his rookie year. Corners aren't afraid of you anymore. They will get right up in your grill. And if you don't know how to handle that or you haven't dealt with it, because nobody was willing to do it, that makes for a little slower developmental curve. Um, Chris Olave, another one. Yep, smooth. Yet yeah, I, I put it in my nugget. Uh, every scout you talk to, the first word out of their mouth is smooth, and uh, that transitions well because you 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 have the change of pace, as you call it. You know, the baseball would be the change up, but you've you adjust your speed subtly and you can create room for yourself and you're always where you're supposed to be on your routes, which is important to quarterbacks. So uh, I just think, again, the physicality will be so he will be challenged early because people will want to see, all right, can you, if I press you, if I line up right up on you on the line of scrimmage, which you probably saw three times last year, you know, and that's it. How are you going to handle it? That's, that's always the young receivers. No matter how awesome they are, that will be their first challenge in the NFL, almost from their first 11 on 11 practice. Uh, people are going to see, can you, what will you do when I, when I take away the one thing you've had for the past two, three, four years, which is a free, a free release.
0: If Jamison Williams didn't have the ACL, where do you think he
1: would be? Oh yeah. You know, that's, that's big play, you know he's got so many plays over 70 yards. I mean, he's just that that gets your attention. You know again, it's you're running free a lot of the time, but he's that's rare playmaking. I think he would be a lot higher, you know, but John, you know how we thought of ACLs 15 years ago even is not how we think of them now. I mean, I guys come back stronger than ever. I've even seen guys come back faster, which to me is. It just must be something in the rehab, the focused training on those muscles to come back. That I, I've actually seen players I've covered come back faster. You know, the example I use here in Denver a lot is, you know, Von Miller tore his ACL in 2012, and he's been nothing but a Pro Bowl player ever since. And he's, you know, he's won a Super Bowl MVP after that. And he could have won a second Super Bowl MVP, you know, this year. Uh, so, yeah, we ACLs aren't what they used to be in terms of red flags on, on the draft board.
0: Well, it's funny because even in our NFL Nation mark draft, which is on Tuesday night, and I'm not going to say who I picked, but the guy there was available was Jamison Williams. Yeah. If he's right, he's not available at 11.
1: No, probably not. If they not. think
0: he's right, he's not going to be there at 11.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting, too, though, because for about five years in a row, like, you know, people would ask me, what's the strongest position in this? in this draft and wide receiver kept coming up. And I finally just come to the conclusion, you know what? Wide receiver is going to be one of the strongest positions in any draft we see moving forward. It's where teams are putting their best athletes. It's where recruiting has gone. It's where all those seven on seven camps in high school, the benefits of all of that is we are seeing clusters of wide receivers in every draft. That's the, That's the one thing that would push any and all of these wide receivers down the board is everybody's got a top five they love and And, who they believe could come in and play. Well, it's why I don't understand the salaries for
0: the guys now, like what teams are willing to pay knowing that the draft is – now, I know some guys are just special and different. I get that. But if you're – you know, to me, if you're not sure on a guy, I'm going to go back to the draft just because every year you're going to have that – But some guys are different and some guys are special. So you're going to pay special guys differently, no matter the position.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: Stingley, the corner from LSU. Yep. There are, I know there are fans here who would love him because you watched the tape a couple years ago and it's awesome. <laughs> In about the last two years. That's what, the- what do you hear about it?
1: That's a tough evaluation, and, and people are all across the board on him in, in terms of that. My, my struggle with him was he was spectacular in 2019. I mean spectacular. Yeah. A very, few, very few freshman corners have I seen play the way he did. But people have not seen that level of play since 2019. You know, I, I, I think – it's hard to know what's going on in a young guy's head. And there's a lot of people coming at him from a lot of different directions and everybody has their struggles in life. But when I watched him, his games from 2020, my, my feeling, I kept feeling like it was like he was struggling with, should I be playing or should I have opted out? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know that for a fact. I mean, I asked him a few questions at the combine and those types of things. But, you know, it's, so it's hard to know what was going on in his, his heart. Maybe he was just a young guy struggling with adult stuff like we all do. Right. You know, your first job. You struggle with your first job. You struggle with whatever's going on in your life. So, but it, it is concerning that nobody has seen that level of play since 2019. And then you throw in a Liz Frank injury this past season. That's a serious injury. Uh, I pushed him slightly down the board because you a I've, 22. I've covered so many players who've had a Liz Frank injury and they're okay for a while, and then they have to go back in and change the screws or and you lose some playing time. So some of that is my own little bias of players I've covered with that injury and the struggles they've had after it. And at corner, there's no other position on the field where you're torquing your foot at weird angles, like a cornerback does. So, you know, it's just, he's a great prospect. He's everything you're looking for in a corner. It's just, we haven't seen the top level of his play in a long time. And that injury is a tough one. And you can look really good running in a straight line, like your 40 is going to be great. But it's when you start torquing on that foot coming out of your back pedal, making the change, all those things that you don't know how that's going to go. And that's where some team doctors will give him a, the green light and a team will take him very early. And some team doctors will say, ah, I have concerns and those teams will have them down the board a little bit. And you had sauce gardener number two, just for, for a point of reference. Um, just a couple more
0: here, lady. What's the difference if Washington doesn't go receiver at 11, what's the difference between the guys you could get there and guys you could get at 47. Is there a big gap? And what, is there a, you know, it doesn't look like there are a lot of big receivers. So if you want a big receiver, you probably that's, have to get it there. So, but what's the gap there, you think?
1: That's what I was going to say. I, the, the size speed guys will go earlier. They would be able to get super productive receivers with, you know, elite speed later. But it's the size speed combo. There will be fewer and fewer of those guys the longer it goes, the longer you wait. Uh, that's why a guy to watch uh, but he's raw you don't know what you're getting really yet there's a guy like Isaiah Weston mm. uh, from that's a that's a down the board receiver with size and speed but he played in an offense that didn't use him very much I think he had six games this year with two or fewer catches and a guy with that big and that fast should just dominate like constantly at Northern Iowa and. So that you're getting the yeah, but receiver size, speed guy down the board that there will be a, re, you know, either he had an injury or they didn't throw him the ball very much, or he's a, a one or a two route player because they didn't ask him to do any more. Then it becomes more of a projection and you can find him, but those are the ones you got to get right because you got to be able to predict the, the future a little bit.
0: Um, one more position, um, safety. If they don't yeah. go, if Hamlet's not there, um, I know there's some guys after that point they like. Uh, Joaquin, uh, Brisker from Penn State, Lewis. Really Simon, good player. Yep. So, do you see those guys being there at 47? And what's the gap between a Hamilton and those guys?
1: Well, the gap is how many things can you ask them to do? You know, as you move down the board with safeties, uh, the job description gets a little smaller. You know, what did they do great? You know, I, I I, am so partial. You know, that there are people split on them, but like I think Baylor's uh, Petrie, mm. Jalen Petrie will play quickly uh, down the board. I look for awareness. Does the guy know what's happening around him? I think Seam will be popular among teams just because of physicality. That guy,
0: these guys, I think these guys like him.
1: Again, with everybody playing so much zone coverage, you're looking for a, a sort of different player you're looking for a guy who runs the alley who will come down and make plays not a guy making plays going backward so if you're a team that's heavy zone and most teams are now I mean I I watch games week after week and they're it's just nothing but quarters all the time in the red zone you know it and that's a you're looking for downhill safeties in that you know nobody's throwing it over your head unless you just messed up you know that's the skill set you're looking for, and a lot of guys have well, that. I, I and just like with
0: Lewis Sin, you mentioned his toughness and his passion, in your uh, too. and you're right.
1: and when he when he tackles somebody, they stay tackled. As an old scout once told me, you know he he finishes it off. And I, you know, it tackles are as a stat are really tough because it, you know some schools hand them out like tic tacs. You know they'll. They'll have guys with more solo tackles than defensive plays, which is impossible. But you'd <laughs> see it. I, I come across it all the time. But seen as a guy who has, when you watch the game video, he makes solo tackles in space. He gets people down, and that, that's a huge thing now because if you're going to play zone coverages, you got to tackle. You got to you got to limit you know yards after catch and all those things. And there are a bunch of safeties that do that. And you know they've they ran four three and four four. Uh, and that's exactly what, what people are looking for now. Who do you like sure. um,
0: last, last position? And actually I was going to ask you about Christian Watson too, because he's a big play guy, big guy. Some people like, but also linebacker. Cause these guys need a linebacker. Don't think they take one eleven. 11. You had two in your top 10 Lloyd and yeah. um, Nicobe Dean. Um,
1: I'm taking a lot of heat for, for Dean. I get a lot I of tears
0: but his size his size, knocks him down, not the play.
1: Yeah. Um, I, you know, and I, you know, and this is sort of a, a little personal debate I have with scouts and GMs all the time. They'll, they always tell me this guy can't do this. And I'm like, well, don't ask him to do that then. You know, I, I just <laughs> – I don't, I don't have a beef with that. You know, I, linebacker's tough now because everybody's in the nickel. Right. 70% of the time. If, if you're not in the nickel 70% of the time, you're a rare team these days. Right. So the big 240-pound guy – unless he has awesome speed, you know, the, the Broncos took, you know, uh, Baron Browning in last year's draft, he's a bigger inside linebacker. Now he would have been a small guy, you know, 10 years ago, but he ran like crazy at his pro days, tremendously fast. So if you're going to be 235, 238 pounds, 240, you're gonna have to be really fast to survive or, or play with, Next level awareness. So those are the two things I look for. Uh, Is your first step to the ball, do you understand what you're looking at? And, you know, do you play with awareness? Because, like, again, a Bronco, uh, Josie Jewell ran 4.8 at the Combine, which is a death knell for a linebacker, but he plays at about 4.6 because he understands what he's looking at, and he can survive and be a starter. So those are the two things that linebacker you're looking for. I think Dean has that. Some some teams will just argue until they're blue in the face. He's a big safety. Uh, I see just the kind of size, speed guy who can play in a nickel defense and and flourish. Who is the guy after the first round that you'd say, this
0: is the guy that I really like? Is there one guy at that position?
1: I have a bunch of players I like. Uh, You know, Troy Anderson from Montana State has my absolute favorite Stat of this draft that that dude rushed for 100 yards and had a sack in the same game. And I just think that's the coolest thing ever. Uh, He was an all conference pick as a quarterback his sophomore year, I believe. And this past year, he was the conference's defensive player of the year. Now he's not a finished product at linebacker. And some people will say, oh, he's stiff and he's this and that. All I know is Wherever they played him he he was an all conference level player he he played at running back, he played at quarterback he's played at linebacker. I think that guy is a football player. somebody will be smart enough to do stuff with and he'll be great on special teams uh, so I, I like him I like him a ton down the board, but he is a a a project of sorts you know he's only a linebacker for two years he was the team's quarterback before that so
0: yeah and i think they'll address that spot down the board but there's like seven or eight spots they want to address and they only have six picks right now so i don't know how (laughs) but you know how it is like every year it's like well you want to get this this and this like you don't have enough picks you don't have like well there's like this this group of players is really good in this round well you only have one pick there so you better get or two picks rounds two through four. So that's why I think they want to do more. Um, last thing you covered Mike Shanahan. He obviously was here. You had some fun exchanges with him over the years. Do you have a favorite Mike Shanahan story.
1: Well, I, I, it's funny. Cause I, Mike is, Mike is unbelievably fiery and it's, you know, I see him now and he couldn't be nicer to me. And I always tease him. That's an unfamiliar uh, <laughs> feeling for me, but Mike, When you talk the draft with Mike Shanahan, he was very, he had an emotional component to it where he would just love a player, absolutely love him, and he'd love them after like 10 plays. Yeah. But that's how he digested. Uh, I never met, I've never met or watched game film with anybody who could digest it faster than Mike can. I I would stand and watch with him and he'd go over a play like one time in 10 seconds. and mean, he, he'd tell me like 14 things and I'd have to say, can go back. I, you know, I missed, I missed that. And so he, it's not that he, he digested so fast. It's like a computer and it's unbelievable, but in the draft process that can get you sometimes. And uh, you know, he, he would later say, yeah, I made a mistake on that one, but he, you know, they drafted Jay Cutler here in the first round, traded up twice in the first round to take him. And I'm not sure I've ever known a team take a quarterback in the first round who they had never spoken to in the draft process. Didn't it, Mike didn't attend his pro day. Uh, Mike didn't talk to him at the combine. They didn't interview him. They did not speak. The Denver Broncos did not speak to Jay Cutler, a quarterback, uh, that's shocking. Yes. And uh, it was in a quirk of things. The, the Titans had the number three pick that year. They, uh, Bud Adams, the owner of the team, had essentially told Jeff Fisher and everyone else with the team, you're taking Vince Young. I don't care what you say, and I'm the owner. Uh, and that's who they did take. But they scouted and visited with and had in for the private 30 visits all of the quarterbacks that year and Mike and Jeff Fisher were very good friends and Fisher didn't mind talking about Cutler to Mike because they weren't going to take Cutler, even though he played at Vanderbilt right there in Nashville. So uh, that was, that was a big part of the evaluation was Mike's and Jeff's relationship and, and discussing Cutler. And I, they were very public about it. I even did a story about it. After it had happened. So that, that was one of the most unique drafting. I can't imagine a team drafting a quarterback they believe will be their starter for a long time without ever speaking to him.
0: Leggy, you're the best. I appreciate your time. I took way too much of it, but
1: people need to check <laughs> out
0: the Le- Jeff Legwald Top 100. Great, great stuff and a ton of work that went into it. So that's what people need to know because it doesn't just, it, you're not just sitting there putting
1: together a list you are working on the list the entire year. So <laughs> well, someone someone's say I didn't do it well enough. And I, you know, I stacked about 500, so maybe some year they'll let me run them all. But anyway, well, I've pre- I, mean, you know, I appreciate fun- it. But you know, the funny thing is like in one time um,
0: I used to do this, you know, like a studs and duds thing type of oh, format. Yeah. And, you know, and I had one of the scouts here came up to me one time and said, Oh, I saw your <laughs> your list or whatever. And I go, what do you think? He goes, goes you know just like half the people here are going to say this and half of people are going to say that uh, in other words even in those scouting rooms you're going to get some people who are probably uh, going to tell the other scout you're a fool why how does this guy think that just like the uh, conversations that may be held on social media it's you know, the, the debates that get held
1: and analytics hasn't changed that at all no. it, it's only it's only added to the to the arguments but you know I, that's just the way it is. It's. I enjoy it. I was taught by scouts the right way, and, and I appreciate them taking the time. I, I won't keep you. Uh, my high school guidance counselor way back told me I should be a welder, and I, I had told Mike Heimerdinger, long uh, longtime coach in the league. Right. Who, he died of cancer a few right. years right. ago. But I had told Dinger uh, that story one time, and I had written something he didn't like, and he, he, walked, he walked by me out to practice one day, and he said, you know what? That guy from your high school was right. And then he just (laughs) laughed walked out. So, yeah, you know, everybody's got an opinion. There you go. Thanks, Leggy. Thank you.
0: That's it for this episode. A huge thanks to Jeff for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back on Wednesday with another episode talking with The Washington Post, Nikki Javala, as we discuss what Ron Rivera had to say on Monday – and some thoughts on what Washington could and should do in the draft. Talk to you next time.